Welcome to church. We're so glad that you guys are here. I'm going to pray. Just take a moment to just center ourselves, focus on God's presence as we're here. We're happy to be here. Maybe there's things that we're excited about. Maybe there's things that we're grieving. But take a moment to just set those things aside and, and just focus on the Lord. He's here with us this morning. God, I just thank you for your presence. I'm so thankful that you are Emmanuel, God with us, that when we come and we gather and we sing and we hear your word, that you're here, you're with us, and we're not just learning about you, but we're getting to know you, and we're actually spending time with you. So God, I just ask that you would meet every person in this room in a personal way, that you would touch every heart, that Whatever it is that you want to say, that's what would be said. That you would have your way in this place. That every agenda would be laid aside but yours. And we are just so thankful. Holy Spirit, fill this place. And fill our worship. God, we come with that sole purpose this morning right now, just to worship you and to lift you high. Amen. Amen. Let's do it. You guys can stand if you'd like.
little out of breath now. That was very exciting. <laughs> I'm going to read this passage to us this morning. Uh, hear the word of the Lord. John 15, verse 5 through 9. Jesus is speaking here. He says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Amen. We're going to sing about it, of course.
never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. seated but please don't move out of this posture of what I sense as utter worship and dependence upon God this morning because I know that so many of us are completely and utterly dependent upon God this morning for so many things right And we won't just rush past that song as if it's one more thing to check off our list of the order of service. We're not just singing it to sing it, but it's truth that we cling to in the wilderness, right? It's truth and promise that we hold on to when it seems like all hope is lost. I know you've been there. Some of you maybe are there, but he doesn't stop. I just want to invite us into a time of corporate prayer. 
as we continue to pray for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine and Russia and the surrounding countries, and, but also recognizing that many of you here have your own issues happening in your life. Maybe your life is unraveling at the seams right now. I just want to invite you to come together this morning. Let's pray for our brothers and sisters. Let's pray for one another because we are one. We are one body. And when one of us grieves, we all grieve. We don't go through sorrow and pain alone. We go through it together. So intercede for your brother and your sister right here, right now. Let's pray. God, we are overwhelmed as we remind ourselves of the truth of who you are. God, we are humbled this morning as we think about how big our problems are, but how much bigger and greater you are. So God, I just pray this morning for continued strength and hope in the dark days. God, we come together this morning as one body, as one people. We belong to one another. And so, God, we recognize the hurt and the pain that is going on in the world with our our brothers and sisters that are clear across the world. But, God, we feel their pain We don't understand their pain firsthand, but we feel it, we sense it, we carry it, we grieve because of it. God, we don't carry on as if everything is fine, as if everything is normal, but God, we stop in our tracks and we we fall to our knees and we call upon you once again. You, way maker. You make a way when there is no other way. God, you are a miracle worker. And and maybe some of us in this room, maybe, God, we are desperate for a miracle. God, some of us are desperate to see miracle worker, miracle working God. God, we know that you work things out and that it doesn't always happen in the time that we want it to happen, but God, we trust you in the waiting. Give us strength in the waiting. Give us hope in the waiting. God, give us peace in the waiting. Help us to see the light on those dark nights. God, we thank you for being a God who sustains us even on the darkest days. And God, we just continue to pray for your kingdom to come and for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
God, those aren't just words, but that is the cry of our heart. That is the collective cry of our hearts this morning. God, we pray for peace. Peace when it doesn't seem possible. God, we pray for your justice and mercy. And God, we wait full of hope and faithfully we wait for you to do a new thing. God, while we recognize that the world feels as if it's falling apart once again, we recognize, God, that many among us today are carrying heavy, heavy burdens, but God, we don't stop there. We also recognize the good things that you are doing in and around us. God, we pause and we recognize that signs of life are around us. And God, we thank you for the promise of spring that is on our calendars to remind us that you are a God of new creation, that you are a God who makes all things new. And what seems dark and dead and lifeless, God, you breathe new life into those things. And for that, we thank you. God, we thank you that so many among us are living, walking testimonies to the new thing that you've done and continue to do. And we also recognize that we don't deserve it. Nothing we could do, nothing we've ever done could earn us the good grace that you freely and lovingly give to us. And we are humbled. And we are grateful. And yet we are also desperate to see you do a new thing again and again and again. So God, would you have your way in us? God, would you move freely in this place and in our hearts? God, that work that you started doing moments ago, would you continue to do that? God, would you continue to move in our midst, touching hearts, changing minds, changing paths, changing directions? God, would you do it again? We wait. We wait for you, Lord. God, we love you. We thank you. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Well, this morning we are going to begin a new series this is a Lenten series as we are now in the midst of the season of Lent. This is the first Sunday um, in the season of Lent. And as we shared on Ash Wednesday, Lent is uh, a season that is similar to Advent. It's similar in the ways that it's a time of preparation. It's a time of, of waiting. It's a time where we're pausing and looking for where hope can be found, but Lent is also different in that it is a time for reflection. 
It's a time for sacred, hard, uncomfortable reflection. I shared on Wednesday that sometimes I I push back against hard, uh, sincere, authentic reflection because I often don't like what I find. And Lent is just about looking inward, reflecting, and, and acknowledging what's there even if you don't like it. But it's not stopping there. It's, it's giving God the freedom and the space to speak into whatever it is that you find. I know I'm speaking very generally here, but that's because you have to personalize it, right? God has a, a unique thing to say and to, to show to you, each and every one of you. But Lent is this sacred season where we journey with Jesus to the cross, We are on a journey, and on this journey, we are dying to self daily, recognizing Christ's love for us and recognizing that we need him once again to renew us and to give us the strength as we proceed on this journey to the cross. So that, in a nutshell, is is what the season of Lent is. And, And so I am going to do something we haven't done in several weeks because we've been in a crazy series where we read practically the whole Bible every Sunday. But I'm going to invite you to stand this morning as we open up God's Word and read it, uh, following along together from Matthew chapter 5, reading verses 1 through 12. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice. And be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Friends, this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. As I said moments ago, the season of Lent is is similar to the season of Advent. And here is another way in which the two are similar. They are similar in that we often sit with, with unsettling and uncomfortable passages during these seasons. I, I should say that particularly unsettling and uncomfortable passages during these seasons. We, we look at passages and we unpack them and we recognize that, wow, that looks a lot different from what I see all around me, including sometimes in the church, the church big C, Right? This passage is no exception. This is uh, the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' infamous Sermon on the Mount, a, a passage of Scripture that I find we don't 
really talk about just a whole lot in the church, at least in my experience, and particularly the Beatitudes. I find that I'm not sure I've ever preached on them, to be honest, and so this is a first for me preaching on these, but it got me to thinking that we don't really sit with the Beatitudes all that often, and for, in our minds, maybe a good reason, because it's hard stuff, right? This is an unsettling passage, and here's the Here's something else you need to know. This would have been very unsettling for those in Jesus' time. These words would have been equally as unsettling for for those who were gathered on this mountain listening to Jesus. They also would have been like, whoa, wow, that is confrontational, and I don't really like it. It's somewhat unsettling for us, and we are invited. This is one of the beauties of the season of Lent. We are invited to just sit and to pause and to wrestle with the tension of this passage of the Beatitudes. I want to ask you, if you were to write a list of ways in which we, and when I say we, I mean society, uh, both secular and non, church people, non-church people, whatever, but if we as society were to write a list of ways in which we are to exist, if we were to examine the ways that we are to live and what we are to do and who we are to be, I think you would find, if we were honest, that it would look a lot different from this list that we just read, right? I think you would find that that it it would not really match up with what we read because what I find is that we are often formed and shaped by a lot of things, particularly books and now podcasts are a big thing. And we listen to podcasts. These, we, we look, we're on pursuit of these self-help books, self-help podcasts, and we're just looking for the next thing that might help me to live my best life. That's what we want, right? I want to live my best life. I want to be my best self. I want to figure out how to be successful, and I want to know how to thrive, and I just want to know how to be the best version of myself I can be. And this is not bad. I'm not condemning these things, but a lot of times that's our focus. That's what we're looking for. But the thing is that a lot of times as we are reading these books and listening to these podcasts, we are being shaped by identities that don't always match up with what Jesus is talking about. We're we're thinking about things like financial affluence and an individual acclaim, reaffirming this life that we are in pursuit of. How can I be my best self? I want to be my best self, but a lot of times it takes my eyes off of those around me, right? If we were to come up with a a list of culturally appropriate beatitudes, we might see something like, blessed are those who work hard so they can play later. Blessed are those who prioritize themselves and their safety over that of their neighbor. Blessed are those who pull themselves up by their bootstraps, right? Can take care of myself. You might think of more. I, write some down if you think of them. But, but what, are, what, would, what would the culturally appropriate list of beatitudes look like for us today? You see, what we will find is that Jesus was in this moment, in his time, and is in this moment, in our time, he is flipping culture on its head. We, we talk about that a lot, right? That Jesus is flipping things upside down. He is establishing that the ways of the world do not and will never line up with the ways of the kingdom of God. And he's doing that again here. Make no mistake, to the world 
And I'll even venture to say to a lot of people in the church, not just this church, you guys know what I mean when I say the church, right? Big C. A lot of times, this is foolishness. It's ridiculous. It's upside down. I particularly like how Dallas Willard says of the Beatitudes, this is a gospel for a silly world. Because that's what people really think a lot of times, if, if they're honest. What we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at the Beatitudes in two parts. We're going to look at uh, just a few of them today, and then we're going to continue on next week. But today's focus is more on God's grace. Today we're going to focus on, on God's grace and what God says and thinks of those who are poor in spirit, those who are mourning, those who are meek. And next week it's going to be kind of a response as this is who God is and this is God's grace. Now look at yourselves and identify what you are and who you are in response. So today we're really just going to focus on verses 3 through 5. And I just want to read them again really quickly so they're fresh in your mind. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. I think we first need to establish what Jesus means by this word blessed, and that is not an easy task. Uh, Every time I do some studying into the Beatitudes and I'm heavily leaning on scholars, I find that they are even so divided and sometimes unsure of what this word blessed really means. And you'll see a lot of different translations um, say different things, and it's, and it's challenging for a reason. But I want to stop there before we get too far and think about what do you think of when you hear the word blessed? When you think, oh, I am so blessed, or oh, they are so blessed, what comes to mind? I could not help myself, but when I was thinking about this this week, I couldn't help but think back to 2014 when there was a trending hashtag going around on social media for a very long time. If you don't know what a hashtag is, we can talk about it later. But this, this hashtag on social media was hashtag blessed. And I don't know, millennials, maybe? We saw this everywhere. I don't know if you did, but we saw this everywhere. I probably did my own silly hashtag blessed. But, but we saw this everywhere, and, and I found a hilarious article this week of, of, of that someone wrote during 2014, and, and in the article they said, here are some ways that God has touched my social network over the past few months. He helped a friend get accepted into grad school. She was hashtag blessed to be there. He made it possible for a yoga instructor's Caribbean spa retreat. She was hashtag blessed to be teaching in paradise. He helped a new mom outfit her infant in a tiny designer frock. Hashtag blessed baby. He graced someone with at least 57 Facebook wall postings about her birthday, and she said, so hashtag blessed for all the love, she wrote to her 900-something Facebook friends. A quick search of hashtag blessed on social media will just really help you understand what we think of when we think of the word blessed. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with these things, or I'm not even going to argue that, oh, those people aren't blessed. Like, that's not what I'm trying to do. But a lot of times when we think of this word blessed, we only have certain things attached to this word. Things like success, maybe some wealth and prosperity, good health, great, perfect family, 
great friends, right? Like all positive, good things. And again, I'm not saying that you're not blessed if you have those things. I will stand before you and say, I am blessed, friends. I am blessed with the family I have and the, this amazing church that I get to serve in. And, and there are lots of reasons why I consider myself blessed. But sometimes I wonder if we stop at those things and we recognize that that doesn't exactly match up with what Jesus is talking about. Do you see the difference? Because Jesus is talking about things that are much opposite from prosperity, health, and family. Jesus goes against the grain. And listen, here's what Jesus is doing. He goes against the grain, and he's making space for those whose society would normally say, you are not blessed, who our society would say, well, by all of these measurements, you're not blessed. And Jesus is going against the grain, and he makes space for those who really have no reason to claim this blessed status. He makes a way, Jesus makes a way for blessing to be extended to not just those who are well-educated, those who have a perfect family, those who check off all the religious boxes, those who have the right friends, but Jesus, Jesus extends blessings to those whom society might feel sorry for, those whom society might pity. I really love how Scott McKnight says it. He says, Jesus blesses those whom no one else has blessed. Sit with that for a minute. Jesus blesses those whom no one else blessed. Let's unpack this for just a minute with each of these three beatitudes that we see in verses three through five. Jesus says, again, very opposite from what we might normally think of when we think of blessed, if we're just being honest, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. When we might think of the wealthy are blessed and those who seem to have it all are blessed, Jesus has something very different in mind. Jesus has in mind those who are economically disadvantaged. Jesus says, you have the ability to be blessed. I'm extending blessings to you. Jesus also has in mind those who have a deep spiritual hunger they're longing for something. They're hungry for something. Maybe they're hungry for, for justice and mercy and they're not finding it, so they find themselves feeling spiritually poor and desperate. Jesus makes room for these groups to experience the fullnesses or the fullness of the promises of God here and now and future promises of God. And I can't help but think of Mary's song as I think about this. I can't help but think of Mary's Magnificat that we talked about back in, in December, uh, the fourth Sunday of Advent. We, we looked at Mary's song, and, and think about this. Mary is the perfect picture of someone who is economically disadvantaged. She's nobody. She's nobody special. She doesn't come from a family of affluence. She's nobody, and she fits this category, and yet here's what Mary says. Mary says in Luke 1, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Blessed? Mary, blessed? This young female in, a, in an ancient culture? This young, poor, uneducated female is going to be called blessed? 
Not only that, this young, uneducated female who is now miraculously with child, and she may or may not have a fiancé when this thing is said and done at this point. That's blessed? What? She goes on to say, He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. Do you see the contrast here? Do you see the tension here? Because we're reminded that if the Beatitudes are about cultural reversal, then the antithesis of poor in spirit is the rich oppressor or the proud, those who lord over the small people, the little people, the unimportant people, the insignificant people. Jesus goes on to say, blessed are those who mourn. In other words, another way that we can understand this, I think it was in our Lenten devotional that I read this, um, but I think he talked about how another way you could understand this is congratulations. Anybody read that this morning? I think that was where that came from, but it was like, congratulations if you're mourning. That's another way you could understand, and that sounds crazy, right? You would never walk up to somebody who is mourning, who is grieving, and say, congratulations, you're sad, but, but Jesus is saying that blessed are those blessings to those who mourn, those who lament, those who feel guilt, those who grieve tragedies and injustices and death, those who are brokenhearted, blessing to those experiencing unspeakable pain. This declaration has in mind those who cry out things like, how long, O Lord? We see this, this is called, this is a form of lament, and we see this all throughout the Psalms. We see it in many places in Scripture, but particularly we see this a lot in the book of Psalms. Those who, who say things and cry out things like, How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord, until we, the exiled, will be rescued? God, you've made your point. We have paid the price. We have wandered. We have repented. When will you relent? When will we be rescued? How long until you remember us? How long, O Lord, until our enemies are defeated? How long, O God, until you have compassion? How much longer, God, must we cry for help? How about this? How long, O Lord, until war is over? Until this war is over, how long, O oh Lord, how many people have to lose their lives? How long, O oh God, until we see justice and mercy? These are the cries that I think we have today. If we think about what's going on right now. This is what it looks like to mourn. And this is who Jesus is talking to. It's also appropriate to ask, what is it that we are mourning? That's an appropriate question to ask. If, if we're going to consider who Jesus is talking to, you really have to ask, well, what is it that you are mourning? Are you mourning that you don't have more in life? Are you mourning over the things that will fade and pass away? What is it that you're mourning over? Another way of asking this question is, are we, the church because this is a collective thing, we're one, right? Are we mourning and lamenting the things that God would be mourning and lamenting? Are we mourning the sins, the injustices? 
Are we mourning over the lack of love, the lack of peace, the lack of holiness? Are we mourning over these things? Because this is what we should be mourning. These are the things that ought to grieve our hearts. These are the things that, that we ought to long for if they're not seen or experienced. But Jesus promises that those who are mourning, that God will comfort them by satisfying their hearts. That they can anchor their hope in God's goodness and faithfulness and justice because he's not finished yet. And it might seem like he's gone. It might seem like he's left you in exile and he's never coming back. The van is gone and it's never coming back. But no, God says no. Jesus goes on to say, blessed are the meek. In other words, blessed are the humble. Blessed are the gentle. Blessed are the nobodies. Blessed are those who are no one special. Blessed are those who don't walk around feeling proud and mighty. Blessed are those who don't go looking for revenge, but those who wait on the Lord and look for the well-being of others in the meantime. I don't like that. I don't like that. I want to see justice now and revenge now, and I want to see this happen now. Friends, I have a word for you that the meek, they're not like the zealots. The zealots take what they want and what they think they should see by force, and they do so in the name of doing good. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. Remember, remember, part of the season of Lent as we journey to the cross, we're going to get to that place where Jesus is going to to come into the town and people are going to see him and they're going to be like, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not who I was expecting, right? We have to remember that, that people were expecting a militant warrior king, right? That's who they thought Jesus would be, a militant warrior king who would take things by force. But that's not who he is. In fact, if we re- recall Matthew eleven twenty nine, Jesus reminds us who he is. And this is who we ought to be in response. Jesus says he is gentle and humble at heart. And this, the language is the same. The word for gentle and meek, it's the same word. Scott McKnight says, the meek, this is hard, just warning you. The meek choose to absorb unjust conditions in a form of nonviolent, non-retaliatory resistance that creates a calm Countercultural community of love, justice, and peace. And I gotta say, many of us don't like that. Many Christians don't like that. And as a pastor who just tries to learn and take the posture of, of learning and reading and listening, we see that Christians will go out of their way to avoid the, the teachings of Jesus here that says, no, 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 you're to be meek, gentle, humble. Don't take it by force. We totally (laughs) skirt around this, and we find other places in Scripture that tell us or make us feel good about, no, no, this is, we're to be strong and powerful and militant. And I'm just here to tell you, that's that's not what I'm getting from this. 
Scott McKnight clearly read a lot of McKnight this week. Scott McKnight sums up these first three Beatitudes. He says it so well. He says, if we put these first three Beatitudes together, we find Jesus blessing the oppressed and the poor for their powerful trust in God, for their willingness to wait on God for justice in the kingdom, and for their devotion that runs so deep, so deep that they mourn over the condition of Israel and they implicate themselves in the causes of that condition. These are the sorts of people, not the typical ones, that are and will be in the kingdom. We're talking about these are the ones who will experience the kingdom of God. We can't help but read these Beatitudes, these, this hard word, and we, we want the good news. What's the good news? What are these promised? What are those who are mourning promised? What are those who are poor in spirit promised? What are those who are meek promised? What's, what's in it for them? What's the promise here? And Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They will experience the fullness of God's blessings. They are those who might be poor now, but they trust in God's faithfulness, and they trust in the ways that God is already working and will work. Those who mourn, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. In other words, God will comfort them by satisfying the longing of their hearts. That means that God sees the longing of our hearts as long as what we are mourning for or over matches what God would be mourning over. God sees that and God will comfort by satisfying the longing of your hearts. And those who are mourning, they are reminded of God's faithfulness and God's final word and they anchor their hope in what God will do. And that empowers the mourner, to carry on faithfully, not to give up hope, but they now have a spirit-filled hope that helps them to carry on. And then finally, the meek. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth, also better translated as land. And here's what's interesting about that. See, that brings to mind promises of, of Genesis 12, when, when God promised Abram, right? I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless all people through you, all the people in your land. I'm going to give that to you, Abram. That's going to be yours. I'm going to bless everyone through you. That's who God gives the land to, not the zealots. Sorry, but, but that, is in, that should be in our mind. The zealots, they protect their land by force. They, they do they're violent and they do unspeakable things in the name of doing good to protect their land. But Jesus says, no, it's the meek who will inherit the land. So what's the message for us? I'm going to confess something to you today. After coming um, away from a pretty practical sermon series where the the practical applications were just too many to list every week, even though I did it anyways, right? <laughs> we did it anyways, but I have to confess to you that as I was thinking about the practical implications or applications for us, it was really difficult because I'm, I'm considering the implications for the original audience, for those who Jesus was 
speaking directly to, and, and I'm thinking about how counter-cultural this message is, and that just makes it difficult to say, here are the practical applications for this message. And so I did something a little crazy, and I just have been relying on the Holy Spirit to personalize it for you. <laughs> and I'm just asking you to rely heavily on the Holy Spirit to show you what does this look like for you? What does this look like for the people of God to live in this way? And I also leaned heavily on scholars <laughs> this week. In fact, you could say that your pastor, I did a lot more learning than teaching this week. Half of this thing is quoted from Scott McKnight. So I just did a lot of learning this week, and I, I'm kind of learning along with you all. But here's one thing. When it's all said and done, here's one thing that I really thought we ought to take away this morning. And that is that, see, one of the meanings behind this word beatitudes, one of the meanings that we can receive is that this is a way of being. This is not a to-do list. You shouldn't leave here and say, okay, now how can I be poor? How can I mourn? I need to mourn more. How can I mourn? How can I? This is not a to-do list. I'm not handing you a to-do list, but this is a way of being. This is a way of being right here, right now. And this is not just about a someday kingdom, a kingdom that's far off and we're just going to wait we're just going to hunker down and wait, but this is about experiencing the realities and the goodness of the kingdom of God right here, right now, not just about waiting for that to come someday. Also, the Beatitudes, they're not just about feeling good, but they're about being the good. This is how we are to be in the world right now. This is what it looks like for us, for Christians, for followers of Jesus. Don't, don't let this be lost on you that the Sermon on the Mount is a pivotal moment. This is, we ought to pay attention to it, right? And this is how Jesus kicks it off. It's hard, it's uncomfortable, it confronts a lot of things, but this is how Jesus kicks off the Sermon on the Mount. We ought to pay attention to this while recognizing that the world, the world has its own beatitudes, right? The world has its own way of being and existing. The world has its own ideas of what it looks like to be blessed, to be hashtag blessed, and that's fine. But we are to live differently. Being blessed is, is not about what doing, or it's not about doing what makes you happy, even if that doesn't line up with the ways of Jesus. It's not about doing what you can to experience what you want right here, right now. It's not about instant gratification. It's not about power and money and violence and control, but experiencing the blessings of God requires meekness and humility. It's peacekeeping. It's not about coming out on top, but serving those who are at the bottom, recognizing that we are among those who are at the bottom sometimes and leaning into what God has to say to us. 
I'm going to invite the praise team to come back and join us as we prepare to respond, as we prayer, uh, prepare to have a time of response. And I just want to remind you that, again, the season of Lent is about reflection, among other things. But the season of Lent is a time of reflection. It's a time to withdraw. I want to share how one pastor, his commenta- uh, commentary that I really appreciated Last thing, he said, the Beatitudes are those words of grace and peace. The Beatitudes come to us not as those who have it all figured out, but to us who are failures, to us who are desperately poor in spirit and otherwise, and to those of us who have hurts that words fail to express. The Beatitudes come to us first as those who are insignificant. Friends, I want to ask this morning, are any among us those who are poor in spirit? Maybe there are some people here who really identify with that, that, that you say, yeah, I, I feel poor in spirit. And for those of you that, that would say, I feel poor in spirit, I, I just want to encourage you that, that God wants to show us how we are already experiencing the realities and the promises of his kingdom and his faithfulness. And I think God would say to us, keep going. Don't stop. Don't lose hope. Keep going. Don't give up. The goodness and the realities of the kingdom can be experienced right here and right now. Are any among us this morning, are you mourning or grieving? Maybe there are some who are mourning, you're grieving, you're lamenting. You're losing sleep over what is not realized. And I just want to say that whatever it is that you are mourning, whatever it is that you are grieving this morning, the God of comfort wants you to know that he's near, that he's not gone, but he's near and he wants to comfort you. Here's a hard word that, that I, that's just been heavy on my heart. Maybe some of us ought to be mourning and grieving. I don't know. Maybe some of us in the church, in the church, maybe... Maybe there's things that we ought to be lamenting and grieving and mourning. Maybe there's sin that needs to be acknowledged, whether that's something we've done or something we haven't done. Search your heart. Is that you? Is that us? Are there any among us who identify with the meek this morning, but not always in a good way? Humility and meekness and and gentleness, that's a good thing, but maybe you experience it in a different way, as in you feel insignificant. You feel unseen, unheard. No one knows I'm here. They don't care if I'm not, right? I want you to know that not only do I see you, I see you, but so does God. God sees you and he's going to lift you up 
and he's gonna continue to be there for you. And that may not be fully realized just yet or tomorrow, but he's working. Even when you can't see it, even when you don't feel it, he's working. He's doing a new thing. Would you pray? God, we just invite you into this time of response. Lord, whatever it is that we are to receive from this word this morning, I pray, God, that you would make that clear to us and that we would respond in a way that is appropriate. God, we recognize our overwhelming need for you right here in this moment. God, would you meet us here? Speak to us. Move in this place. other things she kind of closed just by saying celebrate with us as heaven receives its servant home and I just couldn't believe this mourning widow in her mourning that she was also embracing this idea that she is also blessed in her mourning and that she was receiving that as a truth that she was sharing with others and encouraging the other mourners to celebrate and to see the blessing of the kingdom of heaven and we believe that and it's true but sometimes we forget and i just wanted to share that because i thought such a practical real life example of what we're talking about how can you be blessed when you're mourning it's because of the hope of jesus and because of the work of the cross and because of our dependence on him because it's not up to us because without him, we can do nothing. We're not blessed on our own, but because of him. So just think about that as we sing these words, Lord, I need you, because we do. We need him. And that's where the blessing comes from. It doesn't come from us. It comes from him. Amen.
God, we thank you for being there when we need you. God, we thank you that we can step out, we can fall to our knees, we can become undone in our neediness. We don't have to be ashamed. We don't have to be afraid of what others will think because, God, all that matters is our recognition of our need for you. God, I pray that you would just, would you just overwhelm every heart in this room with that recognition that we will never reach a place in this in this life, we will never reach a place in time where we won't need you, where we won't have a profound, utter need for you and for you to do a new thing in us. God, we are wayward. We are prideful. We are independent. We are hard-headed. And God, sometimes we think that we are just fine. And I don't want to be just fine. God, I want to live in the fullness of your love and in the fullness of your glory. God, I don't want us to just barely get by and be fine, but I want us to thrive. God, I want us to live in the fullness of your kingdom right here, right now. God, I don't want to be composed. I don't want to pretend like everything's fine and we have it all together. God, I just want to be aware of my need for you. And I want to be aware of your desire to give us so much more. So God, I just pray that you would continue to speak to us. God, would you just continue to move in our hearts even as we leave this place, God. Would you just continue to cultivate cultivate this just this need and this awareness of our need for you. And God just continue to strengthen us and continue to show us who we are to be and how we are to be in this world. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Before we uh, participate and receive these elements, I just want to make sure that everyone has received communion. If not, just slip up your hand and we'll get that to you. No rush. Got one in the front here.
I heard a pastor say recently, speaking of communion, I really appreciated what he said, that this bread and this cup, that this is our tangible hope. This is hope that we can touch. This is hope that we can taste. And that is not a small, insignificant thing. And I hope that when you come to this table, and by the way, all are invited and welcome to this table. If you recognize your need for grace, then you're invited. This table is for you. Not only is this table for you, but Jesus delights in sharing this meal with you. But let it not be lost on us that when we take this bread and drink this cup, that we are eating and drinking hope of what is to come. Hope of what is and what God is doing, but hope of what God will do. Friends, these are the gifts of God that are meant for you, the people of God. There's a reason we don't do this alone. There's a reason that you don't just take communion at home by yourself whenever you want, because when you come to this table with others, look around the room. Would you just look around? Look around the room. I know that's awkward and weird. Why are we looking around the room when we're just wanting to take communion? But you're at this table with other people. It's not just you. It doesn't all hang on you, on your shoulders. Amen? But we receive this hope together. And this bread and this cup forms and shapes us to be who God has called us to be. And so, Lord, we thank you for these gifts. We thank you, oh God, for inviting us to your table. God, we pray that as we receive this bread and this cup, we pray, God, that in the mysterious way that you do this, that you would renew and refill us. In Jesus' name, amen. On the night our Lord was betrayed, he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body and it's broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. Take and eat and be grateful. Then he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is my blood. It's the blood of the new covenant. And every time you drink, even now, friends, every time you drink, remember me. Take, drink, and be thankful. We're going to try something new today. Um, We've been talking about how after communion, after we receive and just, I don't know, just as we seek to um, recognize what we've just been given in the bread and in the cup, that we would like to sing the doxology. And if you're not familiar with the doxology, the word doxology literally means praise to God. And so this is just our way of saying thank you, God, for these gifts and we pause and we recognize his goodness. So we invite you to sing this with us. 
that doesn't bless you, I don't know what will. All right, friends. Well, before you leave this morning, I just want to share a few quick announcements with you. Uh, next week is time to spring forward and all the light lovers rejoice, but just keep in mind to plan your whole day an hour ahead because you got to prepare for that loss of sleep. So that happens next. <laughs> I just saw this. She said, daylight savings next Sunday, March 13th, we spring forward and lose an hour of sleep. Boo. <laughs> I love my coworker. She's the best. <laughs> So don't forget to change those clocks or, you know, our phones do it for us now, but just plan your day. Uh, men's breakfast is on the calendar for Saturday, March 19th. That'll be at 8 a.m. here at the church in the fellowship hall. There's going to be a zone rally that's held here on March 21st at 7 p.m. Um, and there's additional information about the missionaries, uh, John and Vicki Moore. That's in the foyer if you're interested. Lunch Bunch will be meeting March 23rd at noon, and this time they'll be meeting at Easy Buffet in Belleville. And finally, we just want to remind you that the Restore Network virtual banquet will be held here again this year. That's on Thursday, March 24th. We'll be hosting a watch party, um, but we're also hoping to have a meal together that night. So we are asking that you RSVP by March 20th, and you can sign up out in the foyer um, and we are excited about that time together as we hear from Restore Network and all the amazing things that we know God did in and through them this year. Amen? Um, and just a little bit of good news I just want to share with you. Uh, you all kind of watched me like pour my heart out last week as I shared this possible vision with you in terms of a community garden, and I just shared with you kind of what the leadership of the church is thinking, that this could be something that, 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 that could be a good thing that we do, and we were just asking God to bless that and to just show us, and I'm just happy to tell you that I have a fantastic person who stepped up to the plate and said, I'll lead this thing, and I'll lead it with great and excellent detail. So thank you to Craig Weiss, who was probably watching at home this morning, um, and he's willing to lead that up for us. I'll share more updates with you later, what that means and, and what's next, but praise God, amen, that we brought this thing before him and said, Lord, would you bless this, maybe, please, possibly? And he says, of course, you know, he, he already was working in that. So just wanted to share that with you, a little update, and I will invite you to stand now at this time. As I give you this benediction, brothers and sisters in Christ, I pray that you go in the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior, and may you live in his fullness this week right where you are. Go, be blessed. You are dismissed.